Well, all right, good morning. It's January 31st, 2016, believe it or not. And uh, I hope you've been reading Proverbs with us. And this is uh, my last sermon with you. Um, but I feel like God has something for us. So if you will, uh, open to Proverbs chapter 10. I know that's not necessarily in our reading from this week, but we will get there, I promise. Because uh, there's a theme that we begin to see over and over and over um, in Proverbs that, that really will go all the way to 29. Um, but I am by nature a, a very inquisitive person. Uh, growing up, I was known to take apart like VHS tapes, if you even know what those are. I was known to take those apart and uh, <clears throat> figure out how they worked. I was also known uh, to watch like in college and in high school, there was a show called Unwrapped. Uh, and it would show like how things would, how products would get to market. And it was mostly candy, how they made candy. That's why I was interested in it. And, uh, and so even this Tuesday, we went to lunch or dinner, Lindsay and I did, with a prospective table host couple, and he was telling me about what he does in the oil industry and the chemicals that he adds uh, to the oil and, and how it gets through the pipelines and all these things, and I'm just kind of geeking out about it. I'm like, I'm so interested in all this because I'm by nature very, very inquisitive. I want to know how things work, and really, if I boil it down, I want to know the why. Like, I want to know how things happen, but also I want to know why things happen. Uh, my kids uh, have got that trait for me. I don't know if Lindsay is that inquisitive. She kind of takes things as they come. Uh, but the majority of my kids, and really I think all of them as I think about it, um, are really obsessed with the why. Now, it might not manifest in taking apart VHS tapes, but it just manifests with them asking why about everything. Dad, why do I have to go to bed now? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to turn the TV off? Why do I have to shoot a basketball like that? Why do I need to pick up my room? Why do I need to fix my hair? Why do I need to eat my vegetables? And the list just goes on and on and on and on. But as I am raising my kids, the thing that I always think about is that the why, the why is either just as or more important than the how. When it gets my kids to like, motivate them, the why is more important than the how. Uh, let me illustrate it like this. Um, so at my house, my job is to do the dishes on most days. At least until my kids get old enough to do that, to, do that for me. and Because uh, that's why you have kids, right? To mow the lawn and to do your dishes. And so my job is to do the dishes. And so after every dinner... We begin the dishwashing process. I'm actually starting to train my kids on how to do it. Um, but we clear the table, and I have a choice at that moment. I could either let the dishes sit for a while, for a day, or two, or three, college students, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe longer. Um, and what, what will begin to happen is if I let my dishes sit there for a while, um, there will be this cesspool of nastiness start forming in there. And... Pretty soon that cesspool will turn into this rank smell. And because I don't want that smell in my house, because I don't want my kitchen sink to be a science experiment, I do the dishes on a pretty timely basis. And so the why will drive my how. The why will drive my actions. Because I don't want my house to smell bad, I will do the dishes. Or because I don't want my house... To smell bad, I will take out the trash. Or because, and the list could go on and on and on. But the why will often drive the how. 
Now, like, you're like, what does that have to do with Proverbs? So as we began studying Proverbs, the one thing that I really was concerned about <clears throat> is, that the, is that this month would become about self-help. That this month would be just a little bit of behavior modifications uh, so that things would go well with us. That we would get a little bit more wisdom in our words, a little bit more wisdom in our relationships, or figure out money management or family dynamics or decision making, um, but miss the why of wisdom. That we would miss, like, why God wants to give us wisdom. And I hope you've been reading along with us, um, but because every day, like, as I've been reading this with, with us, like, every day, something, something has just been jumping off the pages at me, and, and God has been speaking to me, and y'all have come up to me and said the same thing, that God has been teaching you stuff, but the danger is that we become just so obsessed with the wisdom that we miss why God is actually giving us wisdom. That we're like balloons, that, that we just get more and more wisdom and just get blown up l larger and larger and larger until, like, the issue is if that balloon never lets any air out, then eventually the balloon pops and is useless. And if we only pursue wisdom for ourselves, if we only pursue wisdom just so that we can be happy and it can go well with us, then we have a big problem. Because Proverbs addresses the reason God gives us wisdom. And it starts in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. It says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. You see that? The mouth of the righteous. So whatever comes out of our mouth actually brings life is a fountain of life. It just keeps flowing out of us. But the assumption here is that our mouth is speaking righteousness, our, that our mouth is speaking wisdom to other people. Look at Proverbs 10, Proverbs 10, 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. You see that the lips of God's people feed many. Feed many. Proverbs 11, starting in verse 10. It says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. I, I love this verse, and, and this same theme will be repeated somewhere else. But when it goes well with the righteous, the whole city rejoices. The whole city, everyone around you, the, the government, your neighborhood, your, your places of business, like everyone rejoices. You keep going, Proverbs 12, 26. <clears throat> Proverbs 12, 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads him astray. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. The assumption that is built inside of this is that you have conversations with your neighbor. That there are driveway types of conversations that happen. 
And in those driveway types of conversations, there begins to be this wisdom, this guiding that happens because there's wisdom in your life or there's righteousness in your life from the Lord that you begin to speak out to your neighbor. And so your neighborhood is happy. Like everyone's rejoicing. Keep going. Proverbs 14, 34. Proverbs 14, 34. It says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So not only is it our neighborhood, not only is it our city, but it's also our nation that becomes blessed by us being involved, by us having wisdom. We can keep going, and we will. We have two more. Um, Proverbs 28. We're like a lot of jumping here. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. When the righteousness, when the righteous triumph, there is great glory. Everyone is thrilled. Everyone is excited. But when the wicked rise, people begin to hide themselves away. Last one, Proverbs 29, verse 2. Proverbs 29, verse 2. It says this, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. When the righteous increase, when there's wisdom given to someone, and that someone begins to increase, begins to have more influence, begins to have more direction, begins to have an ability to shape things around them, the whole city rejoices. The whole people, everyone rejoices. But when the wicked rise up, they're just like, oh, not again. They groan and they whine and they complain. And so intrinsically built inside of all of these verses is a person that seeks wisdom, a person that is given wisdom by God, but that's not the end game. That's not the end of the road. But that rather when someone is blessed with wisdom by God, when someone gets wisdom, then the next thing that happens is they begin to influence and speak to the people around them. That there is this pouring out that happens of wisdom to a world that has no aspect or has no grasp of wisdom. That's the same, the same sort of idea is found in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, and it's not going to be on the screen, but just listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort." Who comforts us in all of our affliction. Listen, so God, he comforts us in all of our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you know that everything God does in your life, everything God does in your life, is not only designed for you. Everything God does in your life is also designed for other people. 
And you may be thinking, hey, like, what about the hardship in my life? What about the things that, what about the aspects of life that didn't just go the way that I wanted them to go, George? Like, like what about the really terrible things that happened in my life? Yeah, I'll share about the good things. Man, I'll give people advice when, or mentor them when they come to me. But what about the things that, are, that I struggle with? What about the things in my life that I'm not real proud of? What about the sin that, that I've let entangle me at some phases of my life, that it took me down a path that I never thought I would go? I would tell you even that God has designed for you to let and pour that out to other people. I think about my time here just in the college ministry, and one of my favorite stories is, is a time when a girl who was struggling, who was pregnant, not married, came here, accepted Christ, started walking with the Lord, and the first thing we did was pair her up with another woman in this church who had a same story. And it was the most amazing transformation that I got to look from the outside. This woman, who was probably not proud of what she did, began to influence this other woman who was going through the same things that she did. And I'll tell you, in that moment, life happened. God did something. And so intrinsically built into us having wisdom is an outgoing of wisdom in our life to the world around us. Now, in order for that, in order for us to really get that and to grasp that, we have to be certain of two things. We have to be certain of two things in our life. And that these two things, they have, they've got to go down deep into our soul. These convictions have got to be so true for us. We have to believe them with everything, every aspect of who we are, if we really want our wisdom to be poured out to other people. And, and the first thing is this. The first conviction we must have is found in Acts chapter 17. If we really want to live this out, if we really want to be a people that, who the city rejoices, when we get wisdom, then we have to live out this first principle. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24. Acts 17, 24. It says, the God, this is Peter talking in Athens, or Paul talking in Athens um, to the um, what they call the Areopagus, um, which is kind of the government rulers of the day. And he's addressing them, and he starts telling them about God. And we're going to pick up kind of in the middle of it. But he says this in verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. And listen to this right here. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And then don't miss this statement. It's actually a, re a repeat of verse 25. But he says, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. He says everything comes from God, even, even our time periods here on earth. And even the boundaries that we live in, everything comes from God. And so the first conviction that we must understand is that God has you right where you are. 
that God right now has you right where you are. He knows how long you're going to live there. And he has set your allotted time. He has set the timer, and every day another one is ticking. Every day another day ticks off, and, and you never know when your last day is. It may be coming here pretty quick for you, or it may be maybe long and drawn out. But the truth is, God has your time allotted already. But not only that, the thing that blew me away from this verse right here was that he has your boundaries allotted too. That it's no surprise that you're here this morning. It's not by accident that you live where you live. It's not by accident that you're taking those classes, students. It's not by accident that you live in College Station. It's not by accident that you work at that company. It's not by accident that you're involved in this club or this social organization. It's not by accident that you have that career. None of it is by accident. And what God does is he takes all the things around you, all the experiences that you have, all the things that are going on, and he strategically places you exactly where you are. I mean, like, that's how I got here. Like in 2001, I'm here in college, and the recession happens. My parents own their own company. In the first couple years of college, everything was going great, and it was awesome, and then the Recession hits, and my parents come down in April, and they're like, hey, we know that you plan to do summer school, but, but you need to go find a job. And I'm thinking, April, like all the good jobs are taken, so now I'm frustrated that I'm getting all the picked over jobs for that summer. And just so happens, you know, just so happens you know, that God, um, at the BSM the next morning, the BSM director says, hey, I just got a call from a church in the woodlands. And they're looking for an, an interim youth pastor, two college students, to lead the youth ministry for the summer because their youth pastor left. So by coincidence, I was there at the right time. My parents came down uh, just at that instance because of the Easter pageant. I was an Israelite, a Jewish dancer, and a Roman soldier. It was quite the, quite the, uh, the um, versatile acting that I did. And... So I go to the Woodlands. A week later, I have a job. I go to the Woodlands. And then uh, at the end of that summer, they asked me to stay on. And I call Kyle Hoover, and I'm like, hey, um, they asked me to stay on here. And he goes, hey, don't, don't answer that question yet. Don't say yes until you, you get a call back from me. And he was a college pastor here at the time. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, but the next day, he says, hey, George, here at Central, our youth pastor just left, and, and we're looking for an interim youth pastor. So here I am, a 21-year-old, that next day in an interview with Chris Osborne and Tim Skaggs, and I had the job. I don't know what they were thinking, but I had the job. <laughs> and then I stay on for a semester, and then Jeremy Lewis comes, and I stay on with him for a year, learn how to really do ministry well, because um, I didn't have a clue, but learn how to really like do, th like be organized and and then God sends me to Colorado, but what was interesting is in the woodlands, like that summer because of the recession of 2001, my, I meet my wife because that's where Lindsay, her family goes. They take me to Colorado, and then uh, I come back to Dallas, and then I come back here because of prior relationships, and, and God just 
places me in all these areas. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. But here's the truth. I'm here today standing in front of you because of the recession in 2001. And so some of you, you might be thinking, hey, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know why God has brought this thing into my life. But I will tell you this, if we want to be a place, if we want to be a people, and if we want to be a church that gives out wisdom when we get it, the first thing we must understand is that God has us right where we are. He has us right where we are. Now, but why does he have us there? That's the, that's, that's the bigger question. We turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, in verse, start in verse 4. The Israelites have just been taken exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. For the umpteenth time, uh, they've been captured. For the umpteenth time, they've turned their back on the Lord. <clears throat> and so ba- the Babylonians take them in, and this is what it says. This is Jeremiah writing a letter on behalf of God to the Israelites. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice the words there. Like the words are very, very important. The verb tenses are very, very important. The specific things in here. It says, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile. You see, the Babylonians may have thought that they were, had gone in and they were going to take over and that their military might got them the city of Jerusalem and Israel. But what God is saying, hey, no, 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 that's not how I roll. How I roll is I let the Babylonians come in and I made them take you to exile. And so what the Babylonians do, it's actually pretty interesting uh, if you read about them, but they um, actually, they don't kill all the people inside of the city that they take over. They kill some of them. They leave some there, but then they take the majority to their city. They put them in great neighborhoods. They even give them some good governmental jobs. And the hope is that after a period of time, they would just assimilate into the culture. They would just, in a way, assimilate into. And so now there's not Israelites and Babylonians. They're now just Babylonians who maybe just look a little different. And so God warns them. And he says in verse 5, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. He says, multiply there and do not decrease. He says, hey, like don't assimilate into the culture, but he's like, hey, still give your daughters and your sons to marriage. Increase there. Have babies. Increase in number while you're there. And then he tells them one more thing. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And then he says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Isn't that interesting? He says, hey, increase, don't decrease. And then he says, seek the welfare of the city. 
So the first conviction that we have to have is that God has us right where we are. And the second conviction we must have is that God has us where we are for the welfare of the city. For the welfare of the people around us. That word welfare in Hebrew is the word shalom. Uh, it means peace. It means um, that God would give the people around them, that when they influence them, that God would give them peace because of the Israelites' influence. But it actually has a, a, a little bit deeper meaning because it means universal flourishing. Universal flourishing. And so God tells the Israelites, hey, when you're in the city, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the city in such a way where you would pray for the city and you would serve the city in such a way where the people around you, where the city would flourish, would thrive. And you see, God is calling us to be individuals and a church from Proverbs, when we look at wisdom, to be a church and individuals that is for the universal flourishing of our city. You see, God doesn't call us just, just to be in the city, just to be in its geographical city limits. He doesn't call us to be of the city, to be of the same nature of the city. We should surely be different than the city because of God's impact on our life. And he doesn't call us to be against the city, to, to, to be in rivalry with. But rather he calls us to, to be for the city. And he says two things, one to pray for it and the second to serve it. And so we have to have this mindset that shifts a little bit, that changes everything we do. And so if you're a businessman or businesswoman, it means that your business plan shouldn't just include the flourishing of your family and business. But you should also ask God how he wants you to be a blessing to your employees and to your city in the name of Jesus for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. For parents, for teachers, for administrators, if we're a group that is for our city, it means that we don't just go out there and fight for good schools so our kids can have good schools, but rather knowing what God has done for us, we go out and we serve those schools for the cities of Bryan and College Station so that our kids, so that our city can have good schools for the name of Jesus, for the glory of God, and for the sake of the gospel. Students, like, what if this was, like, what if you were marked by this? That instead of just being here and coming here and consuming from your school, that rather your mindset would shift a little bit and that you would be for your school's flourishing. That instead of just coming here and being in high school for four years or being in college for four, five, six, seven, eight years, that you would come and that you would seek the blessing, seek to bless your campus, to bless your professors, to bless your teachers. Parents, what if our sports teams look like this? 
What if you just didn't see your sports team as an outlet for your kids, but rather for the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel, you saw your sports team as a place God has strategically placed you to build relationships with people that you would never ever in your life rub shoulders with. And that you would seek their flourishing. What if your companies look like this? What if your workplaces look like this? God would do something amazing in our city if we were just for it. If we were just for it. So, it, so when I was in college, I remember uh, seeing, seeing this church quilt. And uh, I remember it was in the room right behind the sanctuary at the old central. And, and I remember uh, being intrigued by it because history is interesting. I told you why is really important to me. Um, and so when we moved here, it actually got brought over here. And, and I went and looked at it this week, uh, just preparing for this because I, I remember it, it kind of burned in my mind a few things. But uh, did you know that our first worship service was September 11th, 1925? Like we are 91 years old. We met in the Brazos County Courthouse. And if I counted all the numbers right, if I counted all the names right around the quilt, um, there were 81 charter members. 81. Who said, hey, it's time for Brian to to have another light, to to be another church. Like, Like we need another place here. And so 81 people were like, hey, we siphoned themselves away. I don't know the story. I don't know if it was contentious. I don't know anything about it. All I know is that, hey, on September 11th, 1925, these 81 people got together and said, hey, it's time for us to be for the city and be a light for our city and start a church. Our first pastor was Roy Holloman. We elected our first troublemaker, I mean deacons, in 1925. I'm just kidding. Our deacons are awesome. In 1927, we bought our first church building, stayed there until 1949. Our first foreign missionaries were Alice and Bernie Griffin in Africa from 1939 to 1978. And right there on the middle, in that middle panel of this quilt, was a picture of Central's old campus, not the old, old, old one, but just the old one on Coulter Drive. When it had been redone, it had like white pillars in the front, a big steeple on top, and it says this, spreading the gospel from Bryan, Texas to the ends of the earth. Spreading the gospel from Bryan, Texas to the ends of the earth. And I was looking at that quilt today, not today, but this week, and it reminded me of a story and in high school, um, one year I couldn't play baseball because my shoulders were hurt because of football. And, and so I decided to throw shot and disc. I was terrible at it, terrible. It was a, it was a terrible decision. Um, but the best part about it was I got to run in the big man relay. So if you don't know what the big man relay is, it's the joke of the track meet. That's what it is. It's the joke of the track meet. And it's the thing that everyone kind of comes to watch, everyone kind of comes to listen, or, and just to see it. Because it's these big men who have no business being on the track at all. But they're running. They're running. They're giving it everything they got because they're competitive and they're fiery. And so I was on the JV shot and discus team, but I was on the varsity big man relay. And I've lost weight since then, and I was that big guy, and, and I remember uh, us practicing before, the, we didn't practice at all before, but right before, literally, we were running, or we're, like we're just walking, and our track coach like, hey, you're going to run the big man relay, here's what you need to do. Just start walking, and then just start yelling stick, 
and then get back, get the baton, and just keep running. And so here's what we did. Like, it was a 4 by 100 relay. Every person on the relay had to run 100 yards. I was the second leg. And so I remember the gun sounds. And, man, this guy, just my teammate, just starts running. And I'm like, man, he's faster than me. And so, so I kind of get the head start. And then when he gets to a certain point, I take off. And we're running like this. And he goes, stick. And I put my hand back. And it's like we had practiced this thing for decades. And even though I was only 18 years old, decades, plural, tw- over 20 years I've been practicing this thing. I remember running. And then I get the baton. And I start running. And then the next guy, like, he starts off. And I yell, stick. And he puts his hand back. And I put the stick in his hand. And he keeps going. And then the very end, we're neck and neck. We're in this thing and our big fullback Andrew Martin I'm, I'm watching from the side and they turn the corner and Andrew takes off and he yells stick and it gets put in his right hand he takes it and starts running and I've never seen him run so fast in his life but he ran and we won this gold medal for the big man relay we were going to state baby you know it was like one of, one of those deals And I remember looking at this quilt, thinking about that. And you're like, what? (laughs) Because we're all running legs of the relay. Central's relay started on September 11th, 1925. And that generation, for the good of their city, man, they came out and they took the baton and they started running. And, and, And they just started getting after it. And then when that generation, when their allotted time and their boundaries were done, man, they went to the next generation and they said, stick. And you put the stick down and they said, you go. You do. You take you the gospel from Bryan, Texas to the ends of the earth. And then the next generation, they do their thing. They get their building. They keep going. They hire people. They elect deacons. They start serving our city. And then they're done. Their allotted time is over. And they yell, stick. And then that next generation gets up. And it just keeps going and going and going until the generation right before us comes up and yells, stick. And what the cool thing about this moment right now is we're living and we're holding our baton. And we get to go. And we get to do our thing. And we get to make our city rejoice because of the wisdom that God has given us. And because we are for our city, our city flourishes. And that is what God has called us to be as an individual and as a church. And so the question that we will ask ourselves at the very end of Proverbs is this. Will you, with your influence, allow the city to flourish? For the glory of God. And for the sake of the gospel, will you take the wisdom God has given you and take it to your workplace and be a light there? Will you take it to your sports teams and be a light there? And then when we come together as a church, will we take what God has given us individually and just be for our city corporately? That's what God has called us to. That's what God has for us. And so will you take your baton and run? Pray with me. God, God, we love you. And God, it's humbling to know that that you've called us to that sort of thing. God, like we're not good enough. (laughs) I mean, you know that. We know that. God, what's amazing is that you're good enough for us. And so, God, I pray that that you would burn 
inside of us. That these convictions that you have us where we are and that it's for the good of the city. And so God, right now, you, like you might be reminding people of things that, that you've asked them to do. God, you might even right now be calling people to things that, that they're to do even today or tomorrow. God, I pray that you give us strength to follow through. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, like the Lord might be calling you to something, but like the Lord might be bringing inside of you something that you know you've needed to do for a long time, but you've never done it. A conversation that you're to have or a person you're supposed to talk to. Would you take this time just to pray and just commit to the Lord to be for our city, for that person? Some of you might not have a church home and we would love to tell you what that means to have you a part of ours. Because we think God has called us to be in this place. And, and so if you don't have a church home, we would love to, to have you make ours your home. Now some of you uh, like don't even know what it means to have wisdom or to, to even think of blessing other people. And, and you're like, I don't even know what it means to have a relationship with the Lord. Well, we would love to tell you about that too. Like how God came and, and saved you and wants to know you. Or third, like, some of you just need prayer for confidence, prayer to be a light where you are, and, and we're down here, and it would be our privilege, our joy, and honor to pray with you. And so as the Lord speaks to you this morning, like whatever decision it is, like you come.